Welcome to Sex Spoken Here with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex coach and relationship psychologist and created this show to help you solve any sexual problems, learn about all things sexy, sensual, and intimate, and create your ideal lasting relationship. In my virtual therapy room, I answer questions, interview experts, and provide tips that you can use straight away. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create a problem-free, exciting sex life. Make sure you join us to be up to date on all events and to easily access coaching at www.the-intimacy-coach.com. So, as you said, I think, you know, you have to look at the wider picture. Take a minute to look at the trees from the wood. Is that how you say it? Yeah, uh, forest from the trees. Forest from the trees. And be like, this person is saying a good thing. Their, their, their kind of status in life is, I want to do good. They're not going out of the way to be horrible. And this slip up is not some sort of besmirchment of their overall character just might be kind of a, a thing that they might have slipped up because today you know as you said like terminologies are a bit different or whatever so and I think yeah it's a very um blame culture and what I find difficult with that is that is that people have to take responsibility for themselves and that doesn't just mean um I apologize if I have done something that, that um, inadvertently offended you. I might even apologize if I did something that inadvertently offended you. You know, I might have wanted to offend somebody. Not that I normally do, but you know, there is that. You have to take responsibility for that. So you can apologize for that. But it also means that if I'm the person who's getting offended, that I do some educating of people rather than jumping on them, that I actually do it in a way that I take responsibility for my own feelings. Yeah. Um, and try and understand, as you say, intent, rather than looking at the words and then, and then educate from there. But it has become very prickly in a lot of situations. And for me, that is very much a diversion from actually dealing with the real issues. And it is because people have trouble with intimacy that this happens a lot. So recently, there's been huge arguments about the term foreplay. Yeah. We're going to get rid of the term foreplay because it, it refers. We're going to remove it. It's a yeah. wrong yeah. word. Yeah, it's a bad word. We're removing it because it refers to sex in contemplation of heterosexual penis and vagina sex, right? So who's having a problem with it because it puts all sorts of people in the. Because it it's heteronormative. Okay. It's heteronormative. Like, well, it's not heteronormative. People in their 50s who are lesbians still refer to foreplay. It means something slightly different because we were all raised with the idea that sex has a main event. Yeah. It's a different main event if you're in a heterosexual relationship or you're having a heterosexual experience than if you're not. And usually the main event, main event is like the biggest orgasms. It's when you're deepest into the sex, right? That was the main event. So yeah, if you were if you were heterosexual, foreplay was anything that wasn't fucking. Yeah, that wasn't doing the. That was what it was. What's wrong with that? I guess. And, I guess it's. I don't think there's a problem with the word foreplay as such. I think it's unhelpful if you're trying to have, you know, if you're trying to redefine sex to try and make it something that's a slightly more pleasurable and sensual. Um, 
this, I think the sex script that we've all inherited and subconsciously have kind of internalized is this idea that you have foreplay, which is before the main event that maybe like in a heteronormative environment, maybe the man has to suffer through before you get to the main event, which is penetrative, which is when the man comes, woman should come, and then she doesn't, there's something wrong with her. That, that kind of structure of sex. But that is, that is, I mean, I see that structure, but that is making foreplay a certain thing. And I got to tell you, I work with people in their 60s and 70s sometimes. And if I said we can't use the word foreplay, they wouldn't understand what the fuck I was talking about. Because to them, foreplay is fun. And it's something that they know. So it's one thing if you're a millennial, you want to redefine everything. But you know, there's lots of more generations where by, by redefining, you alienate a lot of people. I'm not talking about the people like us who are in the conversation, right? I'm talking about those people seeking help who don't understand what the fuck you're talking about anymore. I wonder if um, people who are wanting to ban the word foreplay are even thinking about the older generation. No, they're not. And it's because they know everything because, you know, they're all shiny and new and they're inventing shiny and new. And I remember shiny and new, <laughs> you know, and it, it, the problem with part of the young, you know, youth, you know, yeah. changing. And, you know, I think that millennials are super engaged and it's amazing. Even I'm 28 and I have made friends within this sort of like sex world, which has been amazing. And one of like the best things about this, like talking to loads of women and older, younger, you know, making all these new friends, which is amazing. The younger girls that I'm talking to, I mean, God, they are so engaged. They are like doing jobs at university. They are doing all these kind of like feminist projects while they're studying. And I'm like, God, I was just, I was drunk mostly, mostly at university. But you know what, there were, but there are a lot of people, I mean, you forget there was a sexual revolution in the 60s. There was one in the 70s. There was some stuff that happened in the 80s. There were lots of engaged women. Yeah, this isn't yeah. new. And, I'm, and I love, I mean, I love, because I do a lot of stuff with millennials and I love it, but but I bite my tongue a lot because they are, they are offensive to people who are older because they think that they're the only ones who have ever been engaged. It's like, because this hasn't changed in the way that I thought it should have changed, even though I wasn't alive to experience it, you must not have done anything. It's sort of the attitude. It's like, whoa, wait a second. People were looking at different things. And one of the reasons that they're able to be so engaged is where we are on um, another a kind of, a more surface kind of intimacy, but with technology. Because as you started this with, you said communication is key to this. Yeah. And so one of the reasons that millennials get to be engaged is because, oh my God, how many ways do we have to communicate now? How many ways are we able to find out, what, share what we're feeling and find out what other people are feeling and thinking and learn? I'm it's very connected. It's, you know, we are very connected, but you know, the sexual revolution i did my uh, thesis on it at university and i would maybe argue that only a subsection of women were engaged in those sort of kind of identity politics and making changes you know i think it was like a small a smaller subsection of of women whereas i think now it is a bit more i think it is more ubiquitous i think it's it's not no, no because you're because you're still talking about people who are um um, Western world have access to technology, have the time and the energy to be able to be talking with people and conversing with people and the luxury of not having to work 20 hours a day in order to get food in their mouths and, and a roof over their heads. You're right that it was only a subsection of people. It was people who, it was a movement driven by women who were educated and um, middle class and above because they had freedom. 
it's no different now. And it's, it's really dangerous to posit that this is more inclusive because somehow there are more people involved because it forgets that the disparity between wealth and the rest of the world is bigger now than it was then. And that we're really not doing anything to address that. So that's, you know, I mean, that's important. Yeah, but do you think that technology doesn't take into account those things? Like everyone has access to technology or do you think it's still the kind of people have more time and, and more money who are more engaged yeah. in these sort of things? Because yeah. they kind of have the luxury to be engaged with these things, which I guess for some people, you know, they are more concerned about, um, they have other priorities that for the people who are slightly more affluent or more from a different socioeconomic status, don't have to worry about those things. I think it's, you know, I think technology isn't available to all. It is available to many more people and many people who are not um, affluent. I think where, where that comes in that's very helpful, you can be more engaged with education. So you get a message out and, and people become more able to be educated. The fact that we can do social media where we can pass on lots of educational stuff because people pass on a link to an article via a phone means that it's getting further and wider. But ultimately, we still have the problem of having the, the luxury of time and attention. Yeah. And if you have, if you're in a society where um, you're expected to do either your, your, it's poverty and you, and you have to work very hard in order to make sure that you survive, or you're expected to do a traditional female role, so you're responsible for the family, you don't have the luxury necessarily of being able to be engaged in a movement in the way in which you or I would. And so what happens now, it's similar to the 60s actually, because movements started with ed with, in educational environments. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah. London, yeah. Yeah. And I still, it's still that way, although now it's, it's not necessarily university, it's, it's while people are finding their careers. It's while, so it's that, it's, there's a wonderful time in life where if you have a certain level of affluence and it doesn't have to be a lot, right? It, you just have to be affluent enough and in a, a Western culture enough to get your needs met. So that means you're like living here, your medical needs are met. You don't have to worry about that in terms of financially. Then um, the time from sort of your 17 to like 30, for some people and only 25 for others, there is, um, it's a wonderful time period in as much as people have tend to have more, they've got lots of physical energy if they're well. Yeah. And they have more um, time available because they don't necessarily yet have very detailed families and responsibilities. They don't have responsibilities for looking after elders. They may not be heavily into a career. And so it's a brilliant time period. Yeah. Which for my generation wasn't that different, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, there's like levels of freedom. Really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, you um, had that as well. Yeah. The generation before that, you know, they were in the war. Yeah. No. Although, although the '60s, I mean, I'm because I'm 55. I'm I sort of fall '70s more, some '80s, some '70s yeah. for for my for being a teenager and and I was '70s and then um, young adulthood was '80s, early '80s. Um, but uh, the generation before me had the Vietnam War um, and before them had um, 
Korea and and just before them World War II. So when there when there's war going on, then then that's also very interesting because you get a, a political opinion gets run around the war, and um, youth are are often invigorated by that because it's the youth who are going and dying. Yeah. So uh, teenage being kind of young and free and having that kind of leisure is kind of key to that having like moments of leisure and also disposable income and that's it's kind of worse of like the teenage teenage kind of time of life and before that that didn't really happen because you were working from a yes you didn't have a disposable yeah. income so that kind of came about i think in the 40s or 50s yeah uh, yeah, yeah 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 so i mean so it's so it's always interesting to me because um, there are things that are different. There are things that, the, that um, the most recent generation gets to have and gets to use that certainly my generation didn't and, and um, even the generation before didn't have as well. The internet is an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, for all the negatives with the internet, the internet does create the ability for intimacy in a way that, um, you know, having to um, wait to have a to have a connection and a conversation didn't. But, then, but that's what do you think about Tinder, for example? Because I think on the surface, Tinder <laughs> looks like, you know, sex in a heartbeat. You can just go out and have sex. But I think actually that's very wrong. I read a statistic and like I was wowed by the statistic. It was that every day there are two point six billion swipes, but there are twenty six million matches, which is so much less. Yes. And from that you know, from that, a meaningful exchange, and then from that, a date, and then from that, sex, you know, it funnels down like this. But Tinder was built not for meaningful exchanges. <laughs> it was not... To, it was but, not built for meaningful exchanges. It was built for sex. Sure, but then I don't think people are... are They're not necessarily using it for that. They're not necessarily using it for that, and I think you're right. I think it's interesting. I think even if you are, I don't think it... I don't think you can get it really easily, and, and you know, I think... Tinder also privileges the people who are more attractive as well. Yes, of course. Yeah. But all visual mediums do that. Yeah. But but walking around on the street does that. But then I think because of like the Tinder culture, it's completely shifted the landscape of dating so that, you know, going out and meeting someone and being approached by someone, you know, I think lots of young women now think that's creepy and you know they, they don't it's quite uncomfortable and i think there's quite a lot of um like people don't like approaching people in person and i think there's a lot of like hesitancy and trepidation around dating in person i think people don't feel that they're getting you know i i think the expectation of being asked out on a date kind of in person i think that's on the decline i think that really i think that's very sad um this is the area where i think intimacy is problematic um it, um false intimacy is what I would look at, which is there, there is a degree of intimacy that you can build up in a relationship with somebody that you've never actually sat in the same room with. Because if you're having lots of conversations about um, true deep issues and you're sharing deep parts of yourself with another human being, then arguably you're creating intimacy. It needs to be interpersonal, surely. Like yes, yeah. well, not necessarily. I mean, people do create it online. The problem is, and I feel the same way you do, but the problem is, is that a lot of people think that that's where intimacy is created. Whereas actually, um, 
so much happens online that is about boundaries to being intimate. So it, it's, you know, like I have clients tell me it's easier to talk to somebody online. It's easier to open up to somebody online because that if, if they reject me, I'm not seeing their face. I'm not, you know, because that can feel awful. And so I get that, right? They reject But that comes back to kind of vulnerability, you know. Yeah. It's, as you said, this false intimacy to be real, to intimate, it's, you know, it's how someone smells. It's those pauses, like it's, it's your aura, you know. I agree with you. I agree with you. But, but the, the, and, and this is millennials and the generation before really believe that lots of what goes on online is real. And I'm, I'm somebody who will say, you know, I, I remember I was um, writing a, a, an episode of a work, workshop that I was contributing to. And one of my steps in, in the exercise was, you know, put away your electronics for the hour. And I got told by the organizer that I, I shouldn't be, be so judgmental in telling people to do that. And I was like, this isn't about judgmental. This is about reality. That's a barrier to me being intimate with you that I'm looking at my phone. It's diverting my attention. It's a distraction. Yeah. It's like saying, please, can you put away your food? Or yeah. Can you stop talking? I mean, that's, that's not judgmental, surely. But, uh, but the person was really upset because it was like, well, this is the way people relate now. And I said, but that doesn't make it right or good yeah. that, people, you know, that people relate through their machines, you know, and that they don't actually relate face to face. And I deal with a lot of people whose relationships have been online and uh, they may not meet for a year after they've started a relationship and they believe all that interaction is a is a bona fide relationship and i'm it is a relationship but i i would argue it's not the same kind of relationship that i would have if i'm if i spent a year where i saw somebody in person a lot of times during the year i think that kind of idea of warmth and and touch you know like you're you're not all your senses aren't being stimulated when you're using a screen, you know, you're, yep. it's only your sight and your hearing, but I think you're, it's very much undermining touch. Yep. Um, and, and also just um, like, like, like a kind of merge, like energy. I know that sounds like a bit hip. No, no, I agree with you. I mean, I think that's the, for me that that's one of the, the, the important bits. So, so it's interesting because then when you look at Tinder, and you, and you say, you know, people, women don't, are uncomfortable being approached by someone in person. They'd rather be approached through the screen. Yeah. And, you know, that for me indicates uh, discomfort with intimacy. And, um, and uh, I think people do. They, they kind of are worried about, you know, I think there's social anxiety now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people um, are just kind of a bit scared of intimacy. Um, I think people aren't, they kind of, they're not comfortable kind of showing their, lowering their inhibitions. I think there is this kind of like war. I think when you're using technology, there's like this sort of like, you know, you kind of use screens as a bit of a barrier. Yeah. You're safe. So when you go out in person, like you're putting yourself out there and, and people maybe don't really want to do that. They can't be bothered or maybe because Tinder now is kind of breeding that, you know, there's a paradox of choice. And there's so many people. And so when you meet someone, for example, um, you know, 
you put yourself out there, you, you kind of get ready and you leave the house and you go, you meet someone and it's great, but then you just, you know, it might just dwindle or might be a bad date or that person might be seeing someone else afterwards or whatever. And, you know, I guess I can understand why you, you might just want to use your screen. <laughs> can't be bothered to do that. So before we end, I'm going to actually challenge people to think about this um, and to think about and, and, and do some experiments about their ability to be vulnerable with people on the internet, on a screen, via computer, versus in person, and whether or not um, one or the other creates a better result. And remind people that ultimately, if you're going to be truly intimate with somebody long term, you actually end up having to be in their physical space for at least part of the time. And that's a different set of skills. And so perhaps one of the things that we ought to be doing is helping people learn those skills yeah. again about being out in public and actually meeting face to face and, and dealing with the face to face world. I'm always amused by people who say, I have a thousand, you know, I, Oh, I have all these friends on Facebook, you know, they have a thousand friends. Um, and I have a public profile where I have many, many people because it's, they approach me professionally, but in my private po profile, there is nobody that I haven't met in person. Because for me, that's what makes a friend. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, totally. But maybe, you know, may, I think you and I, even though we are technically from different generations, it feels that we have a lot of similarities in the way yep. And hopefully lots of people who are in the millennial generation kind of also have similar thoughts to us. I, I really, I really believe that. I really, truly believe that personal interactions and being to that kind of idea of togetherness like I, I don't think it, I really hope it doesn't get usurped by technology I really hope we don't try and kind of kind of turn into like a cyber world that would be <laughs> awful world. yeah it would be it'd be such a shame and we have such capacity as humans to feel intimacy you know yes. we have such capacity and it's such a shame that we don't explore that entire um, potential. I agree. So thank you for joining me. Um, if people want to find you, where do they find you? Where's, where's G spot located? So you can go online and it's www.gs.co.uk. So it's G slash spot. So it's G S slash yep. slash spot. My name's and on my Instagram, it's Georgia's underscore spot. And at Georgia's. I'm just typing it in, guys, while I'm doing it because that makes sure it's there. So these are going to be in the podcast notes for anybody who's interested in getting in touch. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you all for listening and joining me for the A to Z of sex this week. Um, if you were triggered by any of the things that we were talking about, uh, feel free to write in and I will answer any questions on the next show and I'll also provide you with as many resources as I can. You can reach me at Dr. Lori Beth at A to Z of sex.com. That's D R L O R I B E T H at A T O Z Z O F S E X.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, it's at Dr. Bisbee and that's B I S B E Y on Facebook. It's Lori Beth Bisbee and my YouTube channel is 
Lori Bisbee, so it's um, HTTPS, <clears throat> it may not be an S, um, colon forward slash forward slash <clears throat> YouTube.com forward slash C forward slash Lori Bisbee, L-O-R-I-B-I-S-B-E-Y. For a free 30-minute discovery session with me, head over to HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash the dash intimacy dash coach.com and head to my contact page to click on my calendar and schedule directly. I <clears throat> am beginning a radio show right. on the 31st of January with the Sexy Lifestyle Network, part of voiceamerica.com. You'll be able to find the A to Z of sex radio show weekly. Um, and that will be on a Thursday at 7 p.m. Um, UK time. 11 a.m. PST and 1 p.m. EST. So look out for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you all have great holidays because this is out just before the holidays. And join me next week when the letter will be J. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes or on Stitcher. And make sure you head over to www.the-intimacy-coach.com to subscribe for free newsletter updates to help you create and sustain an exciting trouble-free sexual life. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes on all topics, sexy, sensual, and intimate. Thanks for listening.